0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Bible study. So this is Matthew Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at the Tree Church. And I do pray that these Bible studies are an encouragement to your faith, that they help you better understand the Word of God, because the Word of God really is a dynamic thing, and that scripture even tells us that it's alive and active, that the Word of God interacts with us in our daily life, revealing to us truth, revealing to us the things that need to change. It brings conviction in our lives and uh, and empowerment. And so we work very hard as a church to provide opportunities for all of you to grow in your faith and your understanding. Uh, Pastor Chris, who is over this part of the ministry, just does an incredible job. And uh, so we're thankful that you're joining us in the Bible studies, and we encourage you to, to share them, pass them on to anyone else that you know that might be blessed by them. And uh, we just believe God's going to use it in remarkable ways. Uh, So today, uh, we're going to continue our study of the book of Mark, and uh, I had to laugh because uh, you might not know this, but Pastor Chris just simply assigns the passages that we'll be doing with the Bible study. So we have a teaching team on Sunday, and so Chris gives those verses uh, to the different team members, and uh, so this week, uh, I was just actually in a meeting with Chris, just came out of it, and I said, Chris, I just want to confirm, are these the verses that you gave me to teach on, because I'd already done some study on them, and he goes, yep, those are them. And what Chris gave me to speak on today is demon possession, <laughs> which uh, I, I'm not laughing because it's a light topic, I'm laughing because it's, it's a somewhat difficult topic, and and the reason I had to laugh is, uh, many people might not know this, but throughout the years, I assign what we teach on on Sunday, and I've given Pastor Chris some of the most theologically difficult passages of scriptures uh, just because uh, it will give him you know, weeks and months of focus on it for his time to teach. But I feel like he just kind of did a little bit of payback for me. So, uh, But I'm excited to continue in this Bible study, so let's go ahead and dive right in. So we're going to be picking up in Mark chapter 1 and verses—we're uh, going to go through 21 through 34 today. So in verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching— and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Uh, so let's just pause there for a moment. You know, the Word of God, as I've already mentioned, it comes alive. Uh, it, become, it comes alive to us uh, when we really do engage it. And what's interesting is the people they're referencing in this, they, they're comparing Jesus to the scribes. And the scribes would have been very much literalists. They would have known the Word of God They would have proclaimed it in a way that they were communicating, uh, for the most part, the truths of Scripture, but they would have lacked really the power behind it, and it was evident from their teaching. What they were giving people was a list of rules, uh, but they were missing something, so much so that when Jesus taught, it, it caused the audience to go, wait a second, this is different. And and this is what I think is this would be my opinion, but I think it's it's strongly rooted in Scripture. I think when the Word of God, when it is presented with both truth and grace, it comes alive. Uh, so the reason why I highlight those two things is this is what Scripture tells us about Jesus. In in First John or in John uh, chapter one, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It's, it's referencing Jesus. Later on in verse fourteen it talks about that the Word of God became flesh. And as it talks about Jesus, it says that He was full of grace and truth. So let's just kind of break that down, that kind of somewhat complicated idea. Jesus embodied the perfect will of the Father, the the Word of God, what God desires, what God commands, the heart and nature and character of God, everything that He wanted to perfectly communicate communicate is illustrated in Jesus and was illustrated in Jesus. He became flesh, perfectly represented. And what he represented, so the Word of God represented in the flesh, is represented by truth and grace. And and those are two different things, but you need to understand this. They're not competing things. Truth is the standard that God has set. The grace is really the heart behind that truth and if you take one and you exclude the other it turns into something completely different i think my favorite summary of this truth and i wish i knew knew who said this i would give him credit but i've just seen it over i've seen it in memes i've seen it in posters i've heard it communicated in sermons but here's my favorite summary of this truth without grace is mean so mean as an unpleasant <laughs> so truth without grace is mean And grace without truth is meaningless. So truth without grace, when you're just presenting a standard, and this is what the scribes would have done, it would have lacked power, it would have lacked compassion, it would have been harsh, it would have been hard to even find application for life in it because it would have just been this unattainable, unrealistic standard. So I want you to kind of just picture that. These scribes are explaining the standard over and over and over again. Every single person knows that they fall short of that standard. So it would have been a very oppressive way of communicating the the truth of God. So they, they lack grace. It's mean. But then when you take grace without truth, and so what that looks like is really what's popular in our world now to— to tell everyone, hey, you get, to the, you get to define your own truth. You get to decide what's right for you, and I'm just going to love you. True friendship is just simply supporting you no matter what. I mean, we, that's the idea that's communicated. Well, if, if that happens and you give people grace, this compassion that doesn't have a standard to it, then it's really meaningless. What you're giving them is not actual uh, guide, uh, guidelines or, or direction toward uh, experiencing true life. You're giving them the imitation of life, and it's meaningless. And and so when Jesus presented the truth, when you look at his messages, he never once compromised the truth. I mean, Jesus, in my opinion, um, the person probably comes closest to him would be Paul, but Jesus was probably the most, um, I don't know the right word to even use, the most intense, um, the most black-and-white communicator in Scripture. Uh, He was the one that never pulled any punches but yet he had a way of illustrating that with the most incredible compassion and grace. And so his message was one of hope to the hopeless, one of acceptance to the rejected. Um, he, gave, he really gave true guidance for life. And so when the audience heard him, they were like, this is different. This guy preaches with power. And, and I think this is really the passion in my own life as a teacher. Uh, for you that are connected to our church, you know that I'm the primary communicator on Sundays. And I want to preach this way, that, that people see power. Not power in Matthew, but power in the truth that's being presented. And so you have to present it with both truth and grace. And so while he's teaching, the crowd is, is amazed by this. Now going back to the passage in verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Um, So from the context of this, when it says he cried out, it's the unclean spirit that's crying out. So so possibly the man just cries out, but we, we see in the next verse that it is the demonic spirits that are speaking to Jesus. So let's just pause for a moment. Today will not be an exhaustive study of demon possession. But what we see clearly taught in Scripture is that demons had the ability in some people's lives to at the minimum to oppress them to so to uh, torment them in their life to trouble them in their life to hold them uh, really in bondage and then we see at the extreme level they had the ability to take complete possession of a person which meant that they controlled what that person said and did how they acted we see in scripture because of demonic possession um, there were individuals that were constantly hurt. They were thrown down into fire, thrown down uh, and just injuring themselves. Uh, they, there was because of demonic oppression. People couldn't see, they couldn't hear, uh, they couldn't speak. These are all just vivid examples in Scripture. Um, there are some behaviors that we see in Scripture that's uh, given, the credit is given to demonic spirits that cause the sicknesses and the, con- and the different types of behavior. Um, some of those sicknesses mimic what are true medical conditions, but because Jesus defined it as demonic oppression or possession, we know that this was different. So the reason why I say that is some of the behavior that you see could mimic just natural seizures that people have. Um, it could, could mimic um, bipolar. It could mimic um, oh uh, hallucinations. It could m- mimic, um, oh, there's a, a mental medical condition that it, I'm, I'm losing right now. Um, where people just uh, start, really, where they start to lose their mind, and they start to see things that aren't there and hear things that aren't there. And uh, and so sometimes people have said, well, in the Bible time, whenever it mentions that, it just calls it demon possession, but demon possession is not really what's going on today. I want to be clear. The Bible differentiates between physical healing and when Jesus cast out demons and free someone from demonic activity. Jesus knew the difference. So sometimes sickness is simply a physical condition of a broken world, broken by sin. Other times there are demonic activity involved. And so I know that creates a lot of uh, fear, a lot of questions in people's minds. So I just want to address a couple of things. Christians cannot be demonically possessed. Christians can be demonically Oppressed, um, They can be persecuted by demonic powers. Um, we know that Paul says that the war that we wage is not simply in the physical, but it's a spiritual battle against the principalities and powers, the rulers of this age. So there will be a fight um, for our mental health, uh, our physical health, but demonic authority, uh, it, it cannot trump the Holy Spirit inside of the believer. Uh, it says in 1 John uh, 4, I believe it's verse 4, uh, says that this, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God inside of us prevents Christians from losing control to demonic spirits. And so we don't have to fear that as a Christian. But why do some people become possessed? Um, it's because this is what, what you see. In some communities around the world, uh, in different time periods, even going back to biblical times, they were open to false gods. They were open to worshiping other gods and other um, idols. And when you open yourself up to any other spiritual power besides God, what you or who you are opening yourself up to are demonic spirits. There are no other real gods. There's one true God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is three in one, exists as one, but he is one. There's one true God. And then there are the demonic spirits, which are fallen angels, Uh, angels that used to be in the presence of God in heaven that were deceived by by Satan. Uh, Satan grew in arrogance, wanted to worship for himself. He was cast out of heaven, convinced a third of the angels to follow him. And now Satan and his angels, the fallen angels, are demonic spirits, they look to damage the kingdom of God. They look to hurt people. And so when people open themselves up to false gods, then that's what happens. And so we see it in other communities. You'll see people that, that are engaged in voodooism, um, other, the worship of other religions, meditation, uh, where they're trying to attain something, but opening up their spirits to other gods that they can worship. Hinduism has literally millions of gods. And, and so when people open themselves up, to other idols and other worshiping of other gods, they're opening themselves up to demonic oppression and even potentially possession. And, and so that's what happens. And so in this story, this demonic uh, activity in this person, th- these demons begin to speak to Jesus. So verse 24, What have you to do with us, the Holy One of God? So we see that there are multiple demons inside of this person. And this is actually a common theme through demon possession in the Scriptures. Uh, at one point, Jesus asked a man who was demon-possessed to—he asked the demons to identify themselves, and they say, we are legion, for we are many. Um, and so there were many. Uh, there were hundreds, even thousands of demons inside of certain individuals, which is crazy to think about, but it was a reality. Uh, let me just pause. So people will ask, is demon possession—does it still happen today? Absolutely. I think it's just maybe more subtle in certain communities, but I think a lot of people um, suffer from demonic oppression and demonic possession, and um, and so and I've seen it. I've seen people um, with demonic spirits. Um, I've never personally been a part of an exorcism, uh, casting those demons out, but I've seen it in people. But I have other pastors, my father is one of them, who has been a part of casting out demons from people uh, that then went on to get radically saved and are still serving God today. Um, my dad has witnessed uh, people with demonic spirits do superhuman feats and um, because the demonic spirits uh, allow their bodies to do that. Uh, my pastor in college has been a par- part of the uh, casting out of demons. And so very respected Christians that I know personally, uh, have, have, I've heard the examples uh, that it still happens today, and, and we have no reason to believe it wouldn't because um, the, the demonic forces still are ruling in this world. And so this demonic, these demonic uh, spirits begin to speak to Jesus, and, and this is what's interesting is they recognize who Jesus is. They say, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, and, and so that's interesting. They know that Jesus here in the flesh was actually the Holy One of God. Do you know why they know him? Because Jesus is eternal. Jesus has always been. Scripture is clear. All things that were made were made by him and for him and through him. Uh, Jesus, when being challenged by religious leaders, said that he was before Abraham, that he was before Moses, that he was before Isaac and Jacob, and that he knew them and uh, that caused people to lose their minds they thought he was blaspheming but jesus is is eternal but then also like we know even in philippians chapter 2 when it talks about the the humility of christ it actually says jesus though he was in the form of god did not see equality with god as something to grasp or to hold on to he surrendered his position in heaven to to take on the the form of his creation the ultimate humbling of, of god for on our behalf but in that, when Christ was in heaven, the demonic spirits saw him. They knew him. And so they recognized his authority and his power here on earth. So, going into verse 25, it says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and out. Uh, uh, sorry, hold on. Uh, it says, uh, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. So, Jesus commanded him to do two things one is to be silent, so quit talking, and to come out. And what we see is that Jesus had authority. And this man, this demonic, I should say, this demon is going to obey uh, Jesus. In verse 26, it says, And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So the demon fought it. Through the you know, convulsion made the man have a seizure, made him shake, but then ultimately he came out of him. Demonic forces still submit to the power of God. Um, one thing I, I try to teach clearly in our church is that evil is not the equal to God's good. So God's not the, the good force, and, and Satan is the bad force, and they're equally strong, and they're just fighting against each other. No, God is all authority, um, and that creates questions in people's minds. Why, does, why doesn't he just stop it all right now? I don't know the answer to it, but I know that the reason is, in this sense, that God is good, and so if he's allowing it, there's a greater good. And so in faith, we trust him. But so he casts out this demon, the demon leaves, and then verse 27 and 28, And they, the crowd, were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And so Jesus commands them to come uh, the demon to come out and the, the crowd is just they're, they're just completely shocked by this. They didn't understand this type of power. So let me just say this and I don't say this to be condemning, but I want to point out a truth. The crowd didn't recognize the power that was available to them. The Spirit of God was available to them. Now not in the same sense that it would be a few years after this. When Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and then he sends his Holy Spirit to fill the life of the believer. But the Spirit of God was still available for those who loved God, to be empowered by God. And we see that at different times throughout the Old Testament, that individuals were filled with the Spirit of God, and they prophesied, and they did uh, supernatural things. But I would say this, many Christians today don't realize the power that's available to them. You have inside of you, if you're a Christian, the very Spirit of God that still does supernatural things, still empowers us to live lives that are overcoming of sin, but also to do supernatural things. And um, if you ever want to know what those things are, you can, you can read uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. Uh, chapter 13 will, will focus on love, but chapters 12 and 14 are about uh, the Holy Spirit and what He provides for us. And, and so this crowd, is, they're just amazed by it. Um, so then, let's go on. In verse twenty-nine, it says, "Immediately he, Jesus, left the synagogue, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. So he physically healed her. So the other guy, he cast out a demon. In this situation, it's physical healing. The fever left her, and she began to serve him." Uh, I love this moment. I love this simple truth that's illustrated in this moment. She was healed to serve. That's not the only reason. God healed her because he loved her. That's why Jesus did it. He's a compassionate God. He healed her because lo- he loved her. But also in that moment, it allowed her to, to serve. And God still does this. God heals us physically. God heals us mentally and emotionally. God heals us spiritually, relationally, uh, so that we can continue to serve him and advance his kingdom. Uh, verse 32 through 34 and we'll, we'll close with this that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and again it notes the difference between the two I just want to stress that not all sick are demon oppressed um, but all demon oppressed are sick uh, in some capacity but they bring to him sick and the demon oppressed, And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And note this verse, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. One of the things we see in in scripture is that Jesus knew there was gonna be a specific timing to his ministry, that in the beginning of his ministry, he kept some things private, some things secret. He would heal people and say, don't tell anyone. And then later on, he would heal them and tell them to go and show themselves to certain individuals. But what Jesus was doing, and this is so critical to understand. I could, I could teach an entire sermon, if not series, just on this one verse. What's important to understand is that Jesus first was trusting the Father's timing. Jesus was submitting himself to the Father. So those are two truths. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Jesus trusted the Father's timing. Jesus said, I did did not come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus, being fully God, embraced a, a posture of humility. It's the same thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, and so there's this beautiful submission within the nature and character and persons of the Godhead, God the Father, has a will. Jesus comes to live out that will, to model it perfectly. The Holy Spirit even submits to the will of Jesus, pointing people toward him. Uh, It's remarkable. It's beautiful. Submission is not a weak thing. It's a very strong thing. It's a redemptive thing that God uses, and one that he modeled. But Jesus also trusted in the Father's timing. And I want to note that, because we would look at that, because like, so here, let me just kind of practically play it out. He wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew him. Here's what the demons did in, in other occasions, is Jesus, even as earlier, they, they hollered out that he was the Holy One of God. But they would speak to Jesus, and they would point out that he is the Messiah, the one who came to save. Later on, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, we had a similar situations where these people were trying to cast out demons, and the demons said... We've heard of Paul. We've heard of other apostles. We don't know who you are. Uh, and then I, if I, my memory serves me right, then they led the, the man to physically assault the individuals. But the demons recognize other men and women of God. We would think, just our own perspective, that wouldn't this be like awesome for Jesus to allow these demons to speak and to point out, hey, everyone, do you realize that this person is Jesus the Son of God here in the flesh, like it, for some, it would have brought confirmation. And then Jesus, if he cast them out and he shows that he has power over them, like it would have been a remarkable thing. But Jesus knew that was a shortcut, that was not in the perfect timing of God. The same thing was true when, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the beginning of his ministry, Satan kept offering him shortcuts throw yourself off the temple, and what he knew is that the angels would protect him, and so that he'd probably either fly to the ground, like float down, or, or he would jump off the temple and hit the ground and look physically dead, but he would be resurrected, and, and Satan's like, wouldn't that be a, a shortcut so that you could immediately prove to everyone who you are? But Jesus is like, no, I, I have to trust the timing of God, the plan of God. And the same thing in our lives. God has a timing. We can trust it. It's not going to be our timing but we can trust it because God is good and he knows exactly what he's doing. So today's Bible study, we're encouraged because we know that the power of God is greater than the power of this world. That power lives inside of us and uh, and we should operate in that power. So everyone, I I pray that today's Bible study was a blessing to you and uh, I love you and I can't wait to see you that uh, call our church home. I can't wait to see you this Sunday. God bless.